On this episode of Theology for the People, I speak with my friend Lotzi, who is a pastor in Budapest, Hungary. In addition to pastoring a local church, Lotzi also leads a ministry which helps women who are caught in human trafficking and prostitution. The south side of Budapest, where Lotzi ministers, is a working-class neighborhood which is known for having high levels of crime and prostitution. Lotzi's surname has been intentionally left out for safety reasons because those who traffic women and children are often willing to go to great lengths, including violence, to protect the source of their income. At the time of this recording, I just returned from a trip to Hungary and Ukraine, and during that trip, I had the opportunity to sit down with Lotzi and give him a chance to share about why this ministry matters from a gospel perspective and how his theological convictions are that which led him to get involved in ministering to those caught in prostitution and human trafficking to help them find liberation both physically and spiritually. Here's the episode. Welcome to Theology for the People. Today I'm joined by my good friend Lotzi here in Budapest. We're recording in Budapest, Hungary. And Lotzi is a Hungarian pastor who pastors here in Budapest, who lives in the city with his family. Lotzi, welcome to the program. Thank you. Believe it or not, I have been a faithful listener of Theology for People from Hungary. I believe it. <laughs> I totally believe it because I know what you're like. And I know that we a lot of the things that we talk about on this show are things that you and I have discussed even over the years. And so I've always enjoyed our conversations and you're a natural guest for the show because... You're part of this kind of community of people that I talk theology with. So I am honored to be. Thank might you. as well record it this time. So <laughs> you know why I wanted to have you on the show, though, Lotzi, is because I want to introduce you to my listeners, because I think that you are doing some really cool things and that you have really good reasons for doing those things, theological reasons. And the whole idea behind this show is really to bring theological thinking, concepts, and ideas to the general population. One reason is because I think that when people think the word theology or they hear the word theology, I think sometimes they think it's really abstract, maybe really difficult things, maybe beyond them. And I want people to understand that theology is extremely practical and extremely important for your everyday life. And it has very practical outworkings as well in our lives. And so a good example of that, Lotzi, is what you're involved in. So in addition to being a pastor, tell us about, well, really just tell us about yourself and then maybe tell us about your ministry. Yeah, my name is Lotzi and uh, my story will show you why applied theology was my favorite class at the seminar. I was born in a country that doesn't exist anymore, Yugoslavia. It was war-torn and I was born in the north part of Serbia. I had to move to Hungary when the war was going on because my father was Hungarian. He was anti-Slobodan Milosevic journalist. He was public enemy pretty much. And so they sent me to Hungary. That's how I ended up in Hungary growing up there after my 15th birthday. And so this is where I grew up. And in 2004, God called me to a war-torn city in Croatia. And that's where I, for the first time, I remember I encountered that just to tell people, hey, God loves you and wants to change your life can mean absolutely nothing to someone who is in a desperate soul situation. And that's when I ran back to, to Hungary to my, my mentor, Pastor Greg, and like, hey, what should I do? How should I do it? And, and he, he, he gave me some skills, but then also I had to discover certain things on the field as I, I was doing things. 
And uh, in 2009, after I passed on that, reestablished it, built elders, and we chose the new guy to take over. I moved to Budapest, and I took over a church plant here. I had no idea how different a big city is. My city that I was born was 100,000 people. The city I grew up basically in, in Hungary, was 200,000 people. Then I went to a war-torn city, 30,000 people. Or all of them are different completely and definitely different than a 2 million people city of Budapest. So I came here with uh, little knowledge and little expectation, ex expectations, but I did encounter many shocks, many cultural shocks, even if I'm half Hungarian, half ex-Yugoslav, half Croat, and I'm also experienced in a pastorship, but not in what was awaiting me in Budapest. Seeing so many people in poverty, being homeless, being sexually abused. It was also a shock, like when I went to a war-torn city in Croatia, like what to tell to someone who was raped by the Croatian soldiers and the Serbian soldiers, how to tell them, hey, God loves you, you know, and uh, how to tell someone, hey, you should not be a prostitute on the streets and you should get a real job, you know without getting to know them and helping them get out of where they got into and understanding why they got into it, how they got into it, and, and offering them a way out. So that's how this social sensitivity came into my life. Actually, it did walk into the church building. On a Sunday morning, two young ladies approached me at the doors of my church saying, hey, we are doing a ministry towards the victims of human trafficking. On the streets, we are evangelizing them by night. It's called Table 22 Ministries. And uh, would your new church be interested in getting involved with this? And I was surprised. These were two thin young ladies. And I was like, you are going there by night? Are you not afraid? Where are the men? And that's, I always had a strong urge to build strong men. I did that also in Croatia. If you have strong men, you will have strong elders and hopefully strong churches <laughs> with all that. So I was like, hey, man, we should get involved with this. So that's how we got involved through these two women. Then, then, then homeless people started coming and how to help them as a small church. What is our role in, in helping this? We are not a big humanitarian aid. We don't have gazillion million dollars or foreigns or anything. But those who walk into our community, those who seek our help, we should somehow help them more than just either giving them money or giving them one-time food or something. How can we regularly help them? And that's, that's when this whole church of mine started. And how does the gospel in practical rest itself in, in 20, 21st century big city surrounding? Yeah, no, that's really, really interesting. So in other words, it wasn't something you did just because it was faddish or like the cool thing that you thought you should do. It's literally something that was in your neighborhood and walked in your door. Exactly. And I don't, th I never thought it is something like fashion, you know, like something like a famous thing to do. And later I found out that it had a wave globally where it was like a cool thing to be involved in, in helping victims of human trafficking. 
well, we did it before it was cool and we are continuing to do it when it's not cool anymore. You know, it's funny. I worked in a refugee camp in mm -hmm. the early 2000s in Hungary, in Debrecen, Hungary. And uh, it was really funny because then like years later, you know, refugee ministry, but also like human trafficking became like buzzwords. Everybody was talking about them. And we didn't, we were doing, we were dealing with those things, not sexual human trafficking. Mm -hmm. This was more like with migrants and things like that. But, you know, it was really interesting. We just called it mafia. Like we had a different term. And then I found out later on, oh yeah, well, I guess we were doing that before it was popular. And yeah. And like you said, we'll keep doing it after it's popular too. Absolutely. So let's get to that point. Why do you think that this is something that Christians should even care about? Like, why is it something they should be involved in? Okay, for one thing, I do think that challenges that approach us in any age we live in, we have to face them. We can't, we can't hide from them. We, we, we have to find a solution. We have to give them an answer. What is the answer of the gospel for the challenges of the age you live in? And it's definitely not judgment. <laughs> Shouldn't be. The Bible says so. We are not called to judge anyone. <laughs> it's forbidden. So, so we have to do something with it. We can't be ignorant to their needs. And we are called to cry with those who are crying. But I really do believe that when we can help, we have to find, find a way to help. And for example, in our church, there was a, a brother walked in. He was from a Reformed church and he became homeless. He got divorced. His life fell apart. He became homeless. He was living in a homeless shelter at the time. And that's when we started to develop a program how to rehabilitate him and how to reintegrate him into the society. He had a, a job that he was keeping for like three months at that time, but he had hard time sleeping at the homeless shelter. He really needed, he, he had a, a higher education and he, he had potential in him, but he was, he was closed in to his circumstances. And to understand that, that he needed just maybe just one chance to step out. We were like, can we offer him that chance? So we looked for a one-room apartment, what the cost of that would be. I asked the church if anyone can pitch in equivalent of like maybe even less than $10 a month for like committed to one year to, to pay for him, to pay the rent for him basically because he did have a job so he was he was able to take care of himself but he could did not have the money to rent an apartment well that man after three months of sleeping in his own room in his own bed he was upgraded at his workplace got a bigger salary after six months he said hey i don't need the whole or the whole support what the church is offering me because i can take care of half of it already so we were able to say like okay let's go this to the mission fund and if there is anybody else we can help with we will start to enroll them as a second uh, person who can get restart his life and that's how his recovery started and now he is happily remarried he has a very well-paying job <laughs> and him and his wife are both coming to our church and that's where we saw all we did was really providing a space we did provide a counselor for him. My assistant pastor at the time was doing that. We did provide him a financial advisor to help him build a budget, help him get rid of his debt, 
and stuff like that to get him out of the loop that he was in. And he is a free, God-loving, God-serving man now. Yeah, that's really cool. I, I think let's talk about this, though. What are, what are the theological foundations for caring about these things? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, I mean, I think that a place to start would be the verses that talk directly about this. Like, okay, let's talk about James, for example, who says, you know, are you just going to say to someone, be warm and well-fed? God bless you, brother. Or are you going to do what it says is religion, which is pleasing to God, which is to care for widows, orphans, and to keep oneself unstained from the world? And of course, widows and orphans really is, these these words don't just apply to technical widows and orphans, but they apply to people who are in a state of vulnerability and destitution, right? People who really have nothing. Like I, I, we just recently taught at my church on First Timothy chapter 5, which talks about widows, but clearly it's talking about more than just widows, right? Principles which apply to people who are destitute and need financial assistance. And so then we could talk about Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, let us seek to do good to all people, but especially to those who are of the household of God, and Galatians 6, 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And then there's another important verse, Galatians 6, verse 5, which says every person, it says yet every person must carry their own load. In other words, there's this interesting dichotomy, right? Where it says, on the one hand, to fulfill the law of Christ, the law of love, which we're told that is the law of Christ, is the law to love, love one another, but also love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so how do we do that? By bearing one another's burdens. And the word burden there describes a crushing burden, the kind of thing under which you are unable to stand up on your own. But the idea of carrying your own load means taking care of the responsibilities of life, the normal responsibilities of life, and not trying to make other people do them for you because actually God uses those things in your life like a soldier's backpack to make you stronger, and to help you become the person he wants you to be into the image of Christ. But I would go back one further than that and say, okay, those verses talk about it directly, but they just say what to do. I would argue perhaps they don't tell you why you ought to do it beyond that it pleases God, which is a good, it's a pretty good (laughs) reason. But I think there's an even bigger reason. And that is that if you look at Ephesians chapter 1, It says that in all these things, what is God doing? He is working towards the renewal of all things uh, in Christ. So he is working all things together towards the renewal of all things in Christ. And that means that all of history is building up towards this big culminating event in which all things will be made new in Jesus. And that's what he's doing in the world. It's what he's doing through us. I'll add this. There's this great sentence. It's often attributed to somebody else who I won't name, but I know the first person who actually said it, and it's Stanley Hauerwas. And Hauerwas said that the church is an outpost or a colony, even better. He said the church is a colony of heaven in the kingdom of death, or in the country of death. Sorry. Beautiful. It is a beautiful quote, and I love it. But think about what that means. It means that we are, as the church, are an alternative community called to be a colony of heaven in the country of death, which is this world. And what do we do? Well, we represent resurrection. 
and we represent the power of resurrection and the new heavens and new earth, which is to come. And if you think about it like this, that Jesus' reign inaugurated when he ascended into heaven. So Jesus is currently reigning in heaven at the right hand of the Father and in the hearts and minds of those who honor him as king. And one day, his kingdom will come to earth. But right now, what we do is we, through this, like he says in Philippians chapter 2, we shine like bright lights in a dark world. And what that means is that we get to represent, we get to give a preview, and we, we are a colony of this kingdom here on earth in which the values of the kingdom are lived out and shown to the world through our actions and through the redemptive things that we do. Bring this all back around to what you said. Well, in the kingdom, right, there is no poverty, no addiction, no sexual abuse, no none of these things. And so we, we bring these things into the world now as the church, and, and it's like a preview of the kingdom and what God is working all things towards in the end. It's hard to add anything to what you just said. I, I, I was very much moved by the, the motto that came from the Acts, the book of Acts that says, I will not be able to quote it in English well, so I will translate from Hungarian into English. But it says, Jesus walked around the earth and did good. Yes. I really love that. It, it, it is one way to introduce Jesus. Yes, he died for our sins. I mean, yeah, he saved our lives and everything. But he also walked around and did good. Yes. And we kind of forget that. And, 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 and yeah, I'm much more applied theology. Your example was excellent. Bringing light to this dark world. And that quotation was amazing also. If you, and this is a measurement. There is an issue that walks into your church. For example, victims of human trafficking and sexual ex- exploitation, mostly called prostitutes. How does the world look at them? Well, they chose this way to live. They should get a real job, get out of it. You know, that's the, how the darkness looks at the dark thing. But how does the light look at it? Jesus says, I don't judge you. Go and sin no more. Start a new life, you know. And who should be involved in the work of renewal? If not the church, renewing a soul, renewing a life, rebuilding someone to what they were originally created for by our Heavenly Father, if not us. And the answer is us. It's it's that simple. There is no other answer. We can, and and we should, in a way. Okay, this will sound harsh, but I have to say it. We should be ashamed that we let the world do this job. Yeah, because somebody might say, "Isn't this just the government's job?" Well. You know why the government is interested in doing this? Because if they recover, they will pay tax and they will not be a burden to the society, but they will add and, and add value to the society. So they are happy when we do it for them instead of them in a way. But hey, we are sorry to say this, but the government is also in the dark side of this world and not the light side of the world. So not the bright shining part of the world. Yeah, our role is to, to, to do these things. And I know this, the, how it works in the United States, in Hungary, 
the government loves to support organizations doing this because they do the job for them. Mm. But even if this is supported in some countries or some places by the government, which you can receive or not or deny, it's your decision to do. But the church should be doing it. And I would, I would break it down. When, when someone walks into your local church, you should be able to help. And you should have an answer for that. And uh, we discovered a solution for, for how we help the homeless who walk into our way. And, 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 and we help them renew their life, recover from, from all the damage that the world gave them. And there, we started this, not my church, but I was involved in starting this foundation to, to help the victims of human trafficking, which is a super hard ministry to do. And to, to recover from the traumas that these women were, had to go through is probably one of the most extreme and hard traumas a human soul can go through. And yet, I have seen that in the past more than 10 years happen regularly in the, in the lives of these women. So there is recovery for every damaged soul. And yes, I will be the first one to say the church does not have to have an answer for such an extreme thing. But when orphans come in, when a refugee family comes in and needs, needs attention and needs, needs just community, someone to say, hey, we are here to love you. The loving hands of Jesus should be the church. Mm. And as I mentioned previously, not, the churches are not humanitarian organizations. We don't have un, unlimited access to funds. But those people who walk our way, who cross our path, we should, just like the, the Samaritan, you know, we should take care of them. How can I help them? What is that I as a human being or we as a church, as a local community, can do to help this person in trouble? It's, it's our obligation. That's what I see in the Bible. And, and you brought in the subject of, of widows and orphans. Very often, young widowed women in Eastern Europe in their despair, they end up being sexually exploited, human trafficking, and ending up as prostitutes in, in West part of Europe. Orphans? Oh my goodness. The number one cause of young ladies ending up in prostitution, uh, they grow up without a fa father figure, either growing up in orphanages, growing up in... Uh, in a rural small village with either a no father figure because he died or alcoholic, she never sees him or even worse, she sees him and he abuses him or even, yeah, let's not go into details, but there are many reasons in which these young girls get traumatized in their childhood before they even have a chance to choose. And it's straight path to, to, those traumas are a straight path to, to be later abused and used in their sexuality. Yeah, it's, I was just recently, I'm reading Confessions by Augustine. And in that, he says, essentially, that in his sins that he was doing, including, you know, he was very involved in sexual sin and he had a broken relationship with his father. Interesting correlation there. But... He says that in his sin, 
what he was really looking for was God. Exactly. And that's really interesting. I mean, if you think about these women who have suffered in these ways, what they need is a heavenly father who loves them and doesn't abuse them, who loves them in a way that is healthy and right. And, you know, I know that you, I don't think you've seen it yet, but there's this movie, Jesus Revolution, just came out about the Calvary Chapel movement in the early days. And there's a really important statement in there about the kids in the 60s who were doing LSD and talking about Timothy Leary, the father of this. They called him the prophet. And they make it very clear that what Timothy Leary was trying to show the kids and what the kids were looking for in all their searching, they were looking for God, but in all the wrong places and in ways that actually destroyed them rather than saved them. And I mean, I think that that's a really important factor to think about here. You know, Augustine says, that sin is disordered love. That, uh, and you can think about that in many ways, right? Like, so think about the person who does drugs. They are, you could say, okay, they're just sinning. Okay, yeah, but what are they, why are they doing drugs? The woman who gets into an abusive relationship even, what is she looking for? And in the end, what you can find is that what these people are all longing for and looking for is actually God, but they're looking for it in ways that actually destroy them and others. And, and that's terribly sad. And I think that we should be filled with compassion rather than judgment, first of all. And yeah, we leave the judging to God. But I mean, how can you not be filled with compassion when hearing about the kind of stuff that you're clearly talking about? You know, another thing that comes to mind is that this isn't necessarily the Bible, but it is Christian history, which is also important. Like, how did early Christians live out their theology? So you talk about Jesus went around doing good, but then also in the book of Acts, like in chapter 17, right? Or chapter, ooh, is it chapter 17? I think it is chapter 17. They go to Thessalonica and they say, here are the, the Christians who have turned the world upside down. Well, did they turn the world upside down just by, by talking? Or did they turn the world upside down by feeding widows? I'll tell you that I know for a fact that it was by feeding widows and taking care of orphans because there are Roman writings from Roman governors who say these, they called them atheists because Christians only worshiped one God. And so they actually called them atheists. So it's <laughs> a little bit misleading. Sometimes when Christians read it, they're like, are you sure they're talking about Christians? Yes, they're talking about Christians. They said, these atheist Christians, they, they not only take care of their own poor, they take care of our poor also. And he's basically saying he's, they're putting us to shame. What that tells us is that Christians from early days have lived out their faith by, like you said, being the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And, you know, one of the things that's most famous is that Christians began rescuing babies from trash heaps who were discarded because there was no value for human life. So our theology led to a belief in human value, regardless of gender, race, ability, or disability. And they began saving these lives based on their theology. And it's actually our theology that leads us to go and help those who are in need. I really love the quotation you gave from Augustinus because the abusers or the, those who use these women and the victims are also caught in the trap of, of, of lacking love and looking for love. Those who, those who use women for sexual services, they are looking for love at wrong places. 
the women who enter into this as victims, they were hooked into it by not being loved as children. And the first man who showed attention and love to them, they believed him, and that ends up very often their pimp. So, yeah, it's, it's sin. And, <laughs> and should we let the government deal with the sin of this world? No. No, that's, that's our department. That's, that's church department. And uh, yeah, you laid it out very nicely, so there is not much to add. I did encounter... Uh, okay, so our foundation to help victims of human trafficking is, is built on the, the values and, and uh, we, we use the material and, and, and everything we, we do, we learned from Servants Anonymous Foundation in Canada, Vancouver. They are amazing ministry. Please look at their website. You can actually find us there too, SAF, safoundation.com. And one of, the, one of the key things is that it's community. So these women, as they recover, they meet not just us as people who work for the foundation, but they meet our volunteers also. And when they understand that these people are here as volunteers, they're not here because they are paid. Then why are you here? You know, is the question. And then the answer is, well, I'm here to just just love you. Ah, that's impossible. There is no no unconditional love. Well, there is, you know, and I'm a believer. And and then they become friends. And as they become friends, they receive more of this unconditional love from a Christian. And we do have more than nationally servants anonymous foundation has a more than seventy five percent success rate. And most of organizations around the globe don't have more than 20. And one of the keys, yes, is God. So, so let's, 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 let's clear that also because those who actually do get saved during their recovery, of course, they, they, they have an unlimited resource of love and that helps them in the process tremendously. But even those who don't get saved, the community... The, the, again, the unconditional love, the planted seeds are there long-term, but the unconditional love that comes from Christians is what heals them. And yes, we would love for all of them to get saved, and no, unfortunately, not all of them get saved. But all of them are getting renewed, I believe, because of the un unconditional love that only us as Christians can give. We do have professional social workers, believers, but they are not, their lives are not getting changed because of the thing that was taught at the university for social working. Their lives get changed because of the love they experience. Well, so, you know, just wrapping all this up, what would you say are some kind of practical steps that somebody listening can take if they want to, yeah, go, go beyond just listening and affirming that, yes, this is this is good, I agree. What are some practical things that they can do? Okay. Yes, I haven't seen Jesus Revolution. Unfortunately, it's not yet in, in Hungary, but let me use that, that, that story because what happened there? There was a humongous amount of people called hippies that no one reached out to. All the churches were closed and not letting them in, right? And there was one little church and one pastor who said like hey okay bring me a hippie or however the, the line goes in the movie 
I'm not sure how it exactly happened, but he, they, they were the first one to let those people in. So they were the first one to let these people the, in the dark world to be experience what the shining of God's love is. And that led to an enormous amount of people receiving Jesus Christ as their saviors. So why am I giving this example? Because if you are listening to this show as a pastor or as a church attendee, and no homeless people enter your doorsteps, if no victims of, of abuse, trauma are entering your doorsteps, maybe your church is already getting too closed and you are not going out and they, and they don't look at your building as a place where they can go for answer or help. And maybe you should think about how you can restructure your ministry to be more available for the hurt, be hurt and needy people of your society and your city. And I think that's key, to be present, to be seen, to be known for, hey, you can go in there, they will give you food, but they will also ask you questions and they will try to help you even more. And that's okay, we give food. But if you are ready to change your life, to recover, to renew your life, we, are, we also want to be here to help. And there are certain areas where we did not develop any program or foundation or anything. But then be ready to know where to point them. Take them there if needed with your car. You know, just be ready to help them, to mentor them through the process. Go after them, reach out to them. Be ready to be disappointed. They will lie to you. <laughs> they will try to trick you. You know, they will be fallbacks. But as long as you see development, and this is one of the rules, even if someone relapses, if they learn, I always ask them, what have you learned? What was the mistake because of which you relapsed? And they, if they have an answer, okay, you learned. Do you want to continue? And if the person wants to continue, then we continue. Yeah, these will be the grand things. Look for, be the light, be, 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 be available, be like a lighthouse, you know, that people know, hey, I can go there. Be available. That's the rule number one for ministry, be available. And uh, try to find answers in your community. Sometimes it is plain and simple, the story of the Reformed brother who well, ended up homeless. It started with us buying, when I told the church, when you go to grocery store, buy extra food. And on Sunday, bring it to the church. There will be a box. And our friend, let's call him Joe, can pick up after church service and take him with him and he won't have to use his limited resources to buy food. Toothbrush, hygiene stuff, bring it in. And we had a box and, and that's how our homeless ministry started, really. And that's later on we developed this whole funding and, and the restoration process. But figure out how you as a community of 10, 20, 100 people can, can help that person who walked in your church and there are ways to help and yes there are people who don't want help but we are not talking about those we are talking about those who who are entering our doorsteps with with the, with, with their hands opened help us because i'm helpless let's see how can people listening pray for you and your ministry your family Oof. pray for time pray for human resources there is always more need for help than we have enough workers. And, and yeah, please pay for funds. If I may abuse 
this talk for quickly and and just if you would like to support the our work we do for to help these women who are victims of human trafficking go to the web page of the servants anonymous foundation and on the donate page you can specially donate to the hungarian work and they will transfer those funds to us very gladly so but the number one is pray because we need wisdom always and uh, and it is believe it or not a spiritual warfare also sometimes some of these souls are so tied in sin that and they get stuck in their recovery i really love those stories and i truly have gazillion stories but i really love that when and in their recovery they are they are stuck i don't know step five or six and they they are stuck for weeks and then the leader of our rehabilitation and reintegrational program our program director she comes and says like hey we really should pray for let's say i'm saying a name jessica she really needs a breakthrough and then we pray and then the next day that jessica experiences a breakthrough and is really just turning her back to the, her past and and really just continues pushing forward so again do you want the government to pay for for these victims or is that the role of the church i do think it's our role that's great thank you so much for your time today for sharing those thoughts and for being on the show Thank you for being open to these subjects. And uh, yeah, brothers and sisters who are listening to this, find the ways to help those people in your area. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Theology for the People podcast. If there's ever a topic that you'd like to learn more about, there's a section on my website where you can submit questions and suggest topics for me to cover. That can be found at nickkady.org. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so yet. That way, when new episodes are posted, they'll be delivered right to your podcast app. And if this episode was helpful, please share it with others. If you'd like to support this podcast, the best way you can do that is by leaving a written review on the Apple Podcast app. That really helps boost this show in their ratings. And so if you would do it, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening. And until next time, God bless you.